episode number 215 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, an industry analyst and your host of CXO Talk. CXO Talk brings the most amazing people together, innovative people, the most innovative people in the world together for in-depth conversation about topics such as transformation and leadership and the impact of technology on our organizations and our society. And today it's going to be a very interesting conversation. We are speaking with Ellie Rosner, who is the chief technology officer of NCR. Now, some of you may know NCR as National Cash Register Company, which is how they were founded about 130 years ago. And so we're going to talk about that evolution and what the company is doing today. Ellie Rosner, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Ellie, uh, tell us about NCR and tell us how big is the company, what does the company do, and uh, your CTO, and what, is, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so the company, as you said, is about 130 years old. I just want to be on record stating that I was not there when they founded the company. Uh, over 30,000 employees um, all over the world, thousands of customers. Uh, we are serving customers in three main segments, uh, financial services, hospitality, and retail. Um, and as such, we are having customers all over the world in, in retail banking, in all kinds of stores, whether it's a specialty store, a grocer or a petroleum, or in quick service restaurants, stadium, cinemas, etc. My role within the company as the chief technology officer, I actually wear multiple hats. One of them is the standard chief, chief technology officer role where I'm accountable to set the overall vision and strategy for the company and where we're going from a technology perspective. The other part of my job is that I'm accountable for all the software engineering within the company. So it's like a glorified role of VP of engineering, so to speak. Lately, I've also uh, had the added accountability of uh, being accountable for the product management practice. Um, at NCR, we separate between solution management and product management, where Solution management is where we go to market with, and there's a different group a different group that we call the industry solutions group that does that. And we work in tight collaboration with them as all the products we develop are becoming parts of the solutions that we go to market with through the ISG group. So you are running the products and you're responsible for the, the technology vision. And I think the you know, when I was researching NCR, the fact that the company is so old, 130 years old, obviously you're not doing the same thing now that you did 130 years ago. And so how do you take the company through that kind of a transition? It's a very interesting challenge challenge to, to take a company of that magnitude. It's it's you know, NCR is an iconic American company. So I just want to make sure that, you know, I, I'm very clear that it, it's a privilege and an honor to be part of that transformation and reinvention of, of an American uh, icon. Um, the company has a very strong heritage in innovation. Uh, it's one of the first companies in the world that actually held sales conferences. So the whole sales practice 
and best practices around selling are very strong in the company. And the company was also in um, manufacturing everything that they did in-house. So they, 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 were, they were not outsourcing a lot of the manufacturing. Everything was done in-house many, many years ago. Well, in 2005, in August, a significant event happened in the company where Bill Nudi, our CEO and chairman as of today, uh, joined the company as a relatively young CEO. I think he was around 40. And Bill took a company that had the perception and positioning in the marketplace as a hardware and services company and started a very exciting reinvention journey. And that reinvention journey has been going on now for the last 10 years. And now we're going into the last leg of it, which is the next five years between 2015 and 2020. And the reinvention process, um, in the first five years, we streamlined all the manufacturing of the, com- of the company. We laid the foundation to, fi- uh, to fuel the growth. And between 2011 and 2015, we acquired several software assets in the neighborhood of $3.6, $3.7 billion in all the divisions that we serve. Um, and now we're going into the last phase of the reinvention, which is very exciting, to pivot the company to a leadership position in platform-based business model that serve our omni-channel, that deliver omni-channel solutions. So, so we definitely want to hear about what you're doing now. But uh, can you give us a sense of what what was driving this ten year reinvention that you were just talking about? What was the what was the what why why did you do it? Yeah, it's it's a fair question, you know. And and I got to take you back to twenty two thousand and five two thousand and six. Bill Nuri is a is a very unique person. He's got the ability to see around corners. In two thousand and Five, Bill Nudi sat down with the executive team and set a vision for the company that we want to lead how the world connect, interacts, and transacts. Now, you know, when you think about 2005, um, the iPhone was not around. We were still carrying portable DVD players. E-commerce was about 8% of what it is today. So if you think about the depth of the vision that Bill had in terms of repositioning the company, to a global player in omnichannel, you can get an appreciation of the strength and the depth of his ability to foresee the future. Today, when we look at those three verbs, connect, interact, and transact, and people are talking about the internet of things, people are talking about platform-based business models where there's co-creation of value that's happening through interaction, interactions between players in different ecosystems, we can just see how that vision was far-reaching, far-looking, and still applicable as of today. What Bill realized is that there are significant changes, cyclical and macro trends that are happening uh, in the economy, in the world, in the way that service is transitioning to the front end. And you can think about different industries that went through the transformation of becoming more self-service and handing more of the transaction over to the consumer. You can think about people standing in elevators, pushing buttons to take you to a certain floor. You can think about gas stations, uh, think about um, Blockbuster uh, replacing, replaced by Netflix and things like that. So Bill saw that digital transformation that is happening on the edge points and handing off the service over to the consumer and moving the transactions over to the consumer. And 
that was why he felt the need and the necessity to position the company for long-term sustainability. And that's where he changed the vision and the positioning of the company. So you are, so you talk about these edge points and that's important because that's the source of data that runs through your platform. So, so maybe take us, take us in from the, take us, describe this from the outside in, maybe starting with the edge points and the types of data. And then you, you mentioned omni-channel, you mentioned platform-based. And so maybe take us then through those pieces. Sure. In terms of the edge points that we have in each of the industries we serve, think about the financial uh, banking industry. We have ATMs, interactive service terminals, and kiosks. In the retail, we have flexible checkout, personal self-scanning, and all kinds of tablets for the associates to, to help you in the store, specialty stores specifically. In the restaurant, we have mobile points of sale. We have kitchen controllers. We have handhelds. A different payment mechanism, mechanism a digital signage, different types of sensors, etc. Those are all the edge points that NCR is delivering today in its hardware arsenal. So if you think about the type of data that's generated across all those edge points, we are, by the way, running, just as a, a the point of reference, a, a probably 650 million transactions every day through our edge points around the world. The number is probably higher, but I'm trying to be conservative here. Um, and think about us as consumers, where a company like NCR has access to information about us, where we eat, shop, bank, travel. I mean, every time you use the Delta barcode you know, to check in, it's our product that you're using. You check in in a kiosk at the airport, it's our product. You use an ATM. For the most part, we have over you know, close to a million ATMs around the world. So, and millions of points of sale around the world. So people are using us almost on a daily basis and we collect a wealth of information about transactional data, inventory data, sales, loyalty loyalty programs, coupons, you name it. All this data is collected. Of course, transactional data at every restaurant and point of sale where the transaction is held. So there's a wealth of information that we're collecting from all the edge points about actions that us, that we do as consumers. So you're collecting this uh, vast amount of data because NCR has got machines, devices, controllers, sensors, pretty much everywhere. That data comes in. And what do you do with that data now? Yeah, a lot of things to start with. So first of all, we are building a centralized database of customer and consumer preferences things that you like to do so that we can provide that data back to our customers and other companies. So as you get a, as you get service in those service points, be it at a retail bank or a store or a restaurant, we, they can provide you with better service, with better promotions. They know what the expectations that you have is. And we can also help make the transaction across all those channels seamless in the sense that that's what the Omni channel is all about, right? It's like a 360 surround sound music around you. Regardless of where you are, you always hear the same music, so to speak. So you can do, you can start an activity at home on a desktop. You can do it on the go on a mobile device. You can do it before you get to the store, while you're getting into the store, while you're in the store, as you left the store. So all this data enables us to provide a better customer service to the consumers who are our customers' customers. 
So I think uh, so I think you need to elaborate that piece of it. So you're collecting this data and then tell us who your customers are, because you mentioned you're a customer's customer. So tell us who your customers are and then how does the data enable them to provide that omnichannel customer experience that you were just describing? Our customers are retail banks, uh, stores, and uh, quick service restaurants, stadiums, and cinemas. Uh, our customers' customers are the consumers. It's you, me, and everybody else uh, who, who's listening to the, uh, to the show, call today here. So uh, think about a retailer situation where we know, you know where you shop, what you're used to buying, the things that you buy more frequently. Uh, we also have connectivity with uh, other ecosystems like the weather, so we can uh, help our customers, for example, know when they can apply a certain type of a promotion if there's any food that's sensitive to weather conditions. So think about it. When you go to a site um, and you want to purchase items, we, since we know your shopping patterns, it's very similar, by the way, to what Amazon does is people who bought that also bought that as well as that. So we're running similar correlation engines for our customers as well as enabling them to get access to all the transactional data and run that. What it does, they get to know you better. Uh, so let's, let's think of a live example. I think it does the story great. So you're, you go to a specialty store uh, that you've been buying in for, for some time, and um, you put something on your shopping list two weeks ago where you said, you know, I want to be notified when there's a specific tie or a shirt that I was looking for at that store. Well, then you get a notification that your item is available as you get into the parking lot, our technology enables the specialty store to know that you're around using Beacon technology. As you get into the store, you can be identified by a sales associate who's pulling all the information about you, your buying patterns, you know, your preferences, etc. Then they can approach you and say, hey, um, Mr. Rosner, you bought, uh, you were here two months ago, you bought a pair of jeans, you were looking for a specific tie, we have it uh, on, uh, in stock. Uh, by the way, there's a great T-shirt that can go uh, nice with the jeans you purchased a couple of months ago. If you'd like to see that, it's all ready for you in measuring room number five. So you go to the room, and it's all ready for you there to test. You know, So here's a very specialized service that, that you can provide because we know your buying preferences. By the way, as they're helping you, they can say, by the way, there's a special promotion for this item and the other item. We know you like purple. So we have a lot of variety in terms of shorts in purple now. Summer is coming. Why don't we go take a look at those products? And that's how they cross-sell you and upsell you in a very personalized manner. So you are supplying the, the source data and then the platform that provides essentially that correlation mechanism uh, with, with all of these pieces of source data. That is correct. We have a technology platform that enables us to collect and stream all this data, structured and unstructured data. We run some of the correlations. Some of our customers take the data as is and run the correlations by their own or complement our engines and, and, and doing all the activities that I described earlier. And are, are you providing the data to other software providers or are you selling this service directly to the uh, to that customer of yours, namely the the store or the, or the retail chain. 
It really depends on the type of the agreement that we have in terms of our ability to access the data. Uh, so in cases where we have the, the license to use the data in an aggregator, anonymized manner, we do that and we provide it to third-party companies so they can improve the service for our customers as well. And in all cases, our customers have access to the data. What about the, uh, what about the privacy issue? Because, of course, it, it enables a lot of convenience for consumers because, hey, the store is going to give you or recommend to you some item that there's a, that there's a high confidence in which you'll, you'll be interested in it. But at the same time, how do you avoid collecting so much data or being too intrusive that it becomes kind of creepy? Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, the control of how much data is exposed to the consumers or push to the consumer is all within the control of the consumer themselves and the, the, our customers. More specifically, all the programs that we're providing are on an opt-in basis, meaning you have to opt-in and agree to get the service. You'll be amazed at the amount of data that specifically Mineta Oh, it looks like um, Ellie Rosner's connection has died. So Ellie Rosner, if you are out there in the ether, then please just reconnect. In the meantime, I'm looking through some of the uh, comments on Twitter. Oh, are we back? Oh, he's, I think he's going to, uh, I think he's going to reconnect. So I'm looking through some of the comments on Twitter right now. And uh, Zachary Jeans, well, looks like uh, we have Ellie Rosner back. There you are. Welcome back. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I was, you know, such is the way of, uh, of the Internet. And I was, I, was just, uh, I was just saying that Zachary Jeans, who's listening, just tweeted out, a, uh, a, every time you check in at a Delta kiosk, you use our product. And uh, so, so your data sources are, are pretty much everywhere. But you were, you were talking about um, the privacy implications. And, and I also want to talk about the data science behind this. I'm not a data scientist, but, but anything, any insight that you can share with us about how you're doing this, this magic? Yeah. So, look, data privacy is a top concern, as you can imagine, for us, um, uh, specifically with all the data breaches that happened lately to quite a, a few of, uh, of large retailers as well as banks. Um, so data is always protected. Data is obfuscated, whether it's at risk, at rest, you know, in storage or in transport. And the ultimate decision of what data to share about the, the, the customers resides within our customers' hands and the relationship that they have with their consumers. We will never give out data that is unique to a specific person. We will always provide data in an aggregated, anonymized manner. So that's how we protect the, the customer's privacy. So you are so so you are um, your your customer is the the bank or the retail chain. Uh, they are they are the ones who are interacting with the end end users ultimately, or they're they're the they're the layer in, in between. So it's your machine, but it's traversing their policies, their privacy policies, their, their customer relationship policies, and so on. Exactly. And in most cases, the data flows 
uh, in integration or through the CRM system that our customers have, just like you described. So we're providing a service that indirectly touches the end consumers, you and I, but it always goes through the systems of our customers, the retailers or the banks or the restaurants. And that's what I was wondering about earlier, uh, because obviously there's there, there's a close connection here between what you're doing with the data and the personalization that the that the retailer or the bank is doing using their it could be their call center, it could be their CRM system, what have you. That's correct. So the, the banks will use, or the banks, the retailer, the stores, whatever it is, they have their, in, in most cases, they have their own CRM system. They get access to the data. You usually opt into a loyalty program uh, with them, and it's in their discretion as how you, uh, they actually run this program. We provide the mechanism to collect the data, and we provide it to them. Now, what about the data science? Are you just, I'm assuming that you're, and I, I shouldn't say I assume because I don't want to make assumptions about anything, uh, but are what kind of analytics do you provide? Uh, do you employ data scientists? Do you think about predictive analytics um, or is it core, just correlation? How do, you, how do you think about that data and sort of in a forward looking way? It's a practice that we're investing quite a lot of money at NCR. It's a practice that gets a lot of attention all the way uh, to the level of our CEO and leadership team. Um, we are hiring. We have data scientists on board, and we're actively recruiting to anybody who's listening or knows anybody that's interested. We're absolutely actively recruiting people with those skills. They're not easy to come by those days. Um, so we are doing um, all types of correlations with the data. You could be thinking about very simple correlations of just raw data collection, but uh, you can also think about unstructured data that we're collecting from social networks uh, in our customer service department, et cetera. Uh, so we put all the data in a data platform that we have that's based on Hadoop file system. Um, and then we use streaming mechanisms in order to be able to put the data in a data lake that enables us to look at it from all kinds of angles and look at it through all, any, any possible filter that you may be thinking about. We're also, in some cases, integrating with uh, machine learning uh, or intelligent or cognitive services engines. If you think about Microsoft, Lewis, Language Understanding Intelligent Service for Microsoft, um, we're now thinking about integrating with systems from IBM Watson, uh, Salesforce Einstein, Google DeepMind. So as a, the, the fact that we have surrounded all our data and all our capabilities with an API, an application programming inter interface, specifically to the technical crowd, potentially a RESTful API, uh, enables us to now interact with all those other systems, more specifically machine learning and cognitive science that are provided by those large players I mentioned earlier. That's interesting. So so you are aggregating this huge amount of data, more than 650 million transactions every single day. And it sounds like you're in the middle of, of, a, of a strategic project for you to think about uh, what other platforms can, can you integrate with and what is the best way of taking advantage of that data. That is correct. Yeah, just to be accurate, uh, Michael here, we are, we are running through our systems over 650 million transactions a day. We don't collect all the data in our systems. 
It really depends on the arrangement that we have with the customers in terms of what they allow us to collect or not. Um, the uh, integration uh, with other ecosystems is a very important element of our strategy here where uh, I think that a lot of companies have recognized that the platform-based business model uh, is, uh, is getting stronger over the last several years. As a matter of fact, if you look at the large market cap companies, 100% of them are all practically platform players. And being a platform player based on a, business, a platform-based business model means that you're opening up your systems and enabling others to co-create value together with you. So that's one of the key strategic pivots, pivots that Bill Nudy is taking the company towards. We're tr- positioning the company from a leader in omni-channel solutions to a leader in omni-channel platform-based business model solutions. So yeah, that's I, yeah, that's really really interesting. So, and it's and it's true. The the essence of a platform is making something of value available to others, so that there is this shared creation of value. Maybe can you talk more about that? I think this is just such a fundamentally important point. And it's a point not every software company, not every company gets. We still have a lot of companies that are focused on, you know, this is our island and we're going to protect the border. I shouldn't, you know, I don't want to be political here at all. So let's just, uh, (laughs) so let's not talk about borders and walls. So maybe just talk about ecosystems and platforms. (laughs) That's <laughs> easier those days. So look, there, there's a, you're absolutely right. There's a major shift in the industries around us to, uh, from a pipe type of a business model to a, platform, what, to a platform-based business model. And let me explain what it means. A pipe business model or, uh, it basically means you're manufacturing, you're distributing, you're consuming, you're servicing, done. So it's, a very, it's very transactional in nature. If you look at all the market, the large market came companies around us, and you can name you know, companies, everybody knows Google and Apple and Facebook and all those, Airbnb and Uber. But you can also think about Nike, who developed a complete platform. Here's a, a manufacturer of sports equipment that is now penetrating and working in the health ecosystem, right? Now they're providing and integrating with all kinds of, 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 of health systems. So the big difference is that with a platform-based business model, you bring in producers of content and consumers of content into a place where you pull, you, you create a pool, you create a magnet because you have a lot of data to bring them in. It's interesting for them to join. You facilitate the interactions between them and eventually they transact, they form a transaction. The role of the producer and the consumer interchanges during, even during that transaction. Let me give you an example. Uh, Uber, as a driver, um, you're producing a service. As a passenger, you're consuming the service. When you get off the ride, when you're done, you're now producing content, which is feedback on the driver, et cetera, and the driver becomes the consumer of this data. What Uber did, Uber doesn't have any cars, right? And they don't really produce much content, but all they do is bring content from producers and consumers and enable them to collect together to co-create value on on the platform. And you can see it with, you know, Facebook doesn't create really any content. We create the content for them. We're producers of content as well as consumer. Think about Airbnb. It's the same business model. So as we think about that shift from a pipes to a platform-based business model where you have the accretive feedback loop between the participants in those on the platforms, the players on the platform, 
this is what our customers are looking for today. So we have to provide them with the capabilities to extend their ecosystems, to put down the barriers to entry, to enable them to open their systems up to other partners, developer partners, other ecosystems, and so that they can play with everybody else and still provide a very unique value, right? The relevant competitive advantage, but they still can play and extend their reach to, uh, uh, to other ecosystems. I want to remind everybody that you are watching episode number 215 of CXO Talk, and we're speaking with Ellie Rosner, who is the Chief Technology Officer at NCR. And right now, there is a tweet chat going on using the hashtag CXO Talk, and you can, and I hope you do participate, and you can direct questions about any of this to Ellie, and we'll try to answer your questions live right now. So, Ellie, you were talking about uh, the bringing together of the buyers and the sellers to create value. So can you give us some examples on your platform uh, regarding the use of, of the data that you're providing and the capabilities that your platform offers? Sure. So think about, think about a consumer sitting in their living room um, and uh, our platform, and they're using our uh, mobile banking application. Uh, we're integrated with the sports system, so we know there's a game, an NFL game coming up. Um, and you're getting a notification on your mobile device that if you open a credit card account with the financial institution, you will now get a discount of $100 of a large screen TV. So uh, here's an example of where NCR has a competitive edge in the sense that we are collecting data from three, three different verticals, right? Retail, financial, hospitality. Uh, we're unique in that sense, and by putting this data together and creating the correlations between them, we're providing a very powerful service. So you go and you uh, go ahead and open the credit card account on, on your phone. You get a coupon that you can later on go to a retail store and redeem. As a matter of fact, we've just shown a nice demo that integrates virtual reality capabilities to you in your living room. So all you do is put on the goggles, and you go into a virtual sales room, a salesperson on the other end is picking up a set of goggles, and now you're together in a virtual room looking at different types of TVs. You look at those TVs, you eventually place an order for the TV, and we're integrating with a delivery service so you don't have to leave the comfort of your living room. The TV is delivered to your house. Now you're watching the game, the NFL game that you bought the TV for or whatever, and then during the game, we see that your team is winning or whatever, and we send you promotions to a specific restaurant where you know you're, you like to eat. And we send the same message to your friends. We enable you, our technology enables you to open a tab to a bunch of your friends. So you open a tab from the comfort of your living room. You haven't left home yet before you even meet them at the bar. Then you go, you meet them at the bar, at the restaurant. Our technology is there is used to collect all the data. The tab is open. Everybody gets a QR code. Everybody eats. And at the same time, we can also distribute promotions to all those participants that you invited to your open tab. So you can see here, I took you on a very simple use case from a person that sits in the living room, promotion from a bank for a retail, for a TV, purchasing it, you know, with integration with the sports system, et cetera, delivering it to your home, going to a bar or a restaurant, opening a tab, using our technology, sending you more promotions, et cetera, et cetera. And then as you're done, by the way, a couple of days later, you get, as you use your mobile banking application, 
you get a, a, a receipt that you you spend $150 in a bar or restaurant, wherever that is. It's a, it's a clickable item. You can click it and get the detailed level transactions of what you bought at the bar. So let's say there's an item of a hamburger or a beer that you like. You click the beer and you can say, where can I find that beer now around me? By the way, we can send you promotions to a specific location where you can find that different uh, specific type of beer that you were looking for. You go, you, and this is how we create the, cre- the creative feedback loop and, and putting data from all the three verticals into a very interesting scenario use case. And you can see how the thing continues to develop over time. Yeah, and all of the data that you're collecting feeds in. So over time, the entire thing becomes richer. And as you have more uh, data sources and more customers, it, the, the whole thing, the, the platform becomes larger, which then serves all of your customers. Exactly. What you just described is the pool. So if you think about pool, facilitate, and match, which are the three uh, activities that a platform provider needs to happen, and they have to create the pool for consumers and producers to want to come and play in the platform. They later on facilitate interactions between the producers and the consumers. Eventually, they find a match, and they enable you to transact between the producer and the consumers, and then they can change roles. The more data we have, the more people want to use the platform. The more people use the platform, the better service you can provide because now you have access to more data, and that is the self-accretive loop that creates the power of the platform. Now, one thing that we haven't touched on too much, which I think is important in this, we've been talking about a lot of the technology aspects of this, but but again, NCR is a 130-year-old company, and anytime you have a company that is undertaking really such a dramatic change as you've been describing, it's never easy, and it requires cultural shift as well. And so would you share with us some of the... Uh, some of the, the the business experiences, the internal business experiences and transformation experiences and cultural that you have been involved with over over this last 10-year period. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a saying that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and it's really true. Um, you know, the technology aspects of what we're trying to do here are very interesting, very challenging. But at the same time, uh, they're, they're not the hardest part. The hardest part is actually like what you're saying. It, it is the, the culture change. The, I call it the DNA change that has to happen within the company. And it has to do with, A, opening, opening yourself up to uh, looking at what's happening. It's an outside-in type of thinking. Um, start with the customer's needs. Start with what others are doing. Benchmark yourself all the time. The second component is about the stronger uh, the strong um, need and, and desire for innovation. So we have established a process of design thinking at the company. We have trained hundreds of associates on it already, and we will apply the training across the whole company. It's a very innovative process for creative design. The teams love it. The teams, you know, they usually heads down implementing solutions. When you give them the environment and you provide them with the tools to actually innovate, great things happen. We are, we're a company with a very deep heritage in innovation, but applying the design thinking process is a major cultural change that we're, we're driving within the company, all the way from build Nudis level and, and down. We are building a world-class headquarters in Atlanta, in Atlanta, in Midtown, adjacent to Georgia Tech. We're going to move in by the end of the year or January of 2018. We have two towers there. This is going to be state-of-the-art 
a, a headquarters with anything you could imagine of restaurants, a gym, a open space, a, you know, recreation areas, whatever. Anything that anybody could ask for is there. Our close proximity to Georgia Tech will enable us to attract and, and hire the right talent. And it's a very, very exciting move. Um, so it's a performance-based culture, innovative, design thinking, outside-in thinking, benchmarking, and putting ourselves in a place where we can really get excellent, uh, very easy uh, access to excellent talent. You mentioned uh, that design thinking has become very important. And so I'm assuming that that design thinking helps uh, is a catalyst in a sense to help drive the kind of culture change that you're that you're looking for. But at the same time, there's a little bit of a um, which comes first, because how do how do you how do you create the cultural acceptance and understanding of the lessons that design thinking will bring inside the the DNA of the company. That's that's a really hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. I agree. You know, the, I found that the best way to achieve results in those situations is by showing people the art of the possible. Um, so there are different approaches to getting you know, those initiatives done within the company. One says, let's do a broad adoption of the whole process and go all out and make it happen. And the other one is more of an agile type of an approach, which is the methodology we, we use here not just for development, but thinking about everything that we do. It's all about being agile, failing fast, et cetera. So what I mean by that specifically with regards to design thinking, we took a very small team of people and we said, let's start it. And based on the outcome of the design thinking, we're going to do a 90 days challenge. So we put the design thinking process for two or three days. We go out, we validate it with the customers. And again, we're talking about a very small team. We're talking about probably something in the neighborhood of a single scrum team, six, eight, at the most, 10 people. Those people then go out to the implementation phase, and within two months, two to three months, we have a working proof of concept. When people see the outcome, the video of that 90-day challenge, the excitement, and the word of mouth that they get from the other employees, it's like, you know, it's like, it catches like fire. It's just, uh, I can tell you that, in the beginning, we had to pull people to come into the training. Today, our waiting list could be six to nine months until you can get the training. And by the end of 2017, we will probably train another thousand employees on the design thinking process. It's very exciting all the way from the We have support all the way from the top. We have an interesting question from Twitter from Kate slash rabbit. So I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And, uh, and she says... When you're focused so heavily on the customer, how do you introduce change, changes, product changes into the mix? Because obviously there needs to be a balance between being customer centric and at the same time being innovation centric coming from inside you. So how do you balance that? The key word is balance. Uh, you know, input to what we develop as a company comes from anybody in the company and any, any conceivable external source possible. Uh, we're absolutely integ- uh, innovating together with our customers. Um, we're inviting them to all types of innovation events, hackathons, datathons, codathons, whatever you want to call those. Um, so we're, the voice of the customer is very important to us. And even as we go through our agile development process, we invite our customers to participate in the design reviews of the products that we've developed. 
So that gives us the power to deliver a product that we know will have some market adoption. Now, I got to tell you, there are many ideas that we play with, that we toy with, that don't really get to an implementation eventually at the end. And it's okay for us. We, get, we, we learn from it. For example, the virtual reality thing is not something that we're going to go to market in 2017, as an example. Nevertheless, it opened people up to understand the art of the possible of what can be done. And as our Salesforce is now going out and showing that NCR is a thought leader and an innovative company, we can talk to them about what can be done with machine learning, with recommendations engine, with chatbots, with artificial intelligence, with virtual and augmented reality. So we show that we're thinking about all those things, we're applying them, and we're balancing our investment in innovation based on the three horizon model of 70-20-10. So 70% of what we invest will be applied into production in the next 12 to 18 months, 20% will follow a year later, and 10% is really the, you know, the dreaming stuff that's going to happen in three to five years from now. And we all know that today with the pace of technology, you can't really plan for the next five years. you got to plan for the next two or three, four quarters with the pace of technology. So we're investing in a very balanced approach. Uh, we have about five minutes left. So you mentioned uh, salespeople and salespeople going out to present this broader vision. But regarding the, the cultural dimensions that we were just talking about, sales seems to me a great one and a challenging one because if you have a sales force that historically sold very transactionally, they sold, you know, we can sell you this thing out of the price book and that thing out of the price book. And it's basically just a tool. And now you're selling something that's broader and that's more strategic. So that requires the sales force to be thinking differently. And that's just one department out of the company. So again, so I'm still interested in how you, how you undertake and make that change and make that leap successfully across such a large company. You, you said you employ what, about 30,000 people? Yeah, that's correct. Um, it's a very fair question. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're done with their transformation process. You know, the challenge that uh, Bill Nuri and the leadership took, team took upon themselves 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and now we're in the last phase, takes courage. Um, and it's a complete transformation of the company in all the groups. It's sales, marketing, professional services, human resources, finance, um, technology, you name it, product management, solution management, everybody is changing. You know, to support the sales organization in the, in the transformation, we are putting people in leadership positions that actually understand what, what is it that we're trying to do. But I think the most important point is that we are right there with them in the field. So my team, myself, and the leadership team are measured based on the number of interactions we have with customers and me specifically as the leader of the technology and the visionary from a technology perspective for the company, I visit customers a lot. I don't think that there's two weeks where I don't visit one of the customers. Sometimes, and sometimes it's for good reasons. Sometimes we deal with crises where we're trying to turn into lemonade, so to speak. But we're, very, we're listening to the customers. We're right along the salespeople as they go out and sell. We love going out with the sales team, showing off and helping them. And as they hear us telling the story and the pitch about the company, they, they are trained during that process. And I got to tell you, a lot of people are stepping up, upgrading their skills. The leadership is encouraging it, and it's happening. It's very exciting to see it happening. So it sounds like the, uh, 
the support, but it's more than support. It sounds like the leadership of the company takes this. This is one of your strategic core strategic priorities. And that's the glue that sort of propels it forward. That is correct. Sales enablement is one of the top strategic enterprise business initiative driven all the way from Mar- uh, from the top, from uh, Bill Nuri through our new president, Mark Benjamin, and down to all the leadership players in the company. We have just about a minute left, and I'll ask you as a final question, what advice do you have to others who might be faced with this kind of massive cultural technology, cultural and technology change that you've been describing? I would say first, have the courage to do it. Second, um, you know, it's not all, go- it's not all gonna be rosy. Uh, prepare yourself for some failures and stumbles along the way. But as we all know, what, what matters is, is not how many times you fall, but how many times you stand up. Um, be creative, have, keep an open mind, look at what's happening out there. I got to tell you, there's so many players, companies uh, that are being really successful around us. Learn from other people's experience, apply external experience where you can, um, support people, always assume positive intent. As you work with employees that are going through this transformation, assume positive intent, over-communicate, lead through the transformation. Leadership, courage is what Bill Nuri had 10 years ago, and that's why we're on the, on the verge of such an exciting transformation we're going through. I love that. Assume positive intent. And you know, isn't that in some way the essence of building a successful platform because you're sharing the wealth? Exactly. Couldn't say it better. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ellie Rosner, CTO of NCR. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Everybody, you have been watching episode number 215 of CXO Talk. We will be back next week. Please go to our Facebook page and like us. (laughs) And uh, have a great day and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.